sports fans, it's time for... SEC Smothered and Covered with Bleacher Report's SEC lead writer, Barrett Salee, here on vSporto. Welcome into episode 45 of SEC Smothered and Covered here on the vSporto Network. It is the offseason. National Signing Day is in the books. We are in the lull, the downtime between National Signing Day and the start of spring practice, which starts in about... I don't know, 20 days or so, start of March, camp start opening up. It's just around the corner. It seems like only yesterday Alabama was finishing off that national championship game, and yet the season's about to start, the 2016 season. But in the meantime, we have some off-season things to sort of tie up. want to hit a few things in this show that are, I think, of note this week. In the SEC, we're going to talk about Michigan and the SEC stance against the Wolverines holding a week of spring practice at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, a little bit later on, uh, because I think this is going to be a storyline that uh, whether they actually go through with it or not during their spring break, uh, it is going to be an, uh, one of those hot offseason topics like a satellite camp, like a 10-second rule, all these things we talk about in the offseason. So we're going to hit on that later in the show. Also, we will play ruling on the field. Uh, we will focus on an early signing period. We will focus on Tennessee and that defense. And also, we'll hit a little NFL draft. The Combine's coming up. Which SEC player will surprise in the NFL draft Combine? The underwear Olympics, so to speak. But first, want to hit on on th- a thing that really bothers me. This this is something that I, I really uh, can't stand, and this is not a knock against Texas A and M, although they were the one that sort of, uh, at least in the SEC, got this going in a big way, uh, announcing on Super Bowl Sunday, about an hour before a kickoff news dump, that Dave Christensen, offensive line coach and running game coordinator, would not be back. And there are several other schools that um, that are sort of. You know, in this mix, there are, I would say, to a lesser extent, this is sort of positional coach carousel week uh, in terms of of where you're going to go. Is it ethical to change coaches after National Signing Day? I'd say no. It's not. I think that this is one of those things where if a program and a coach – are both not completely up front with prospects as to their intentions short-term, that's sleazy. That's diabolical. That's underhanded. And these are the adults who are paid to be the adults in this situation. If a recruit signs the worst contract in sports, which is what a national letter of intent is, and his primary recruiter or his position coach leaves, that player should be able to leave. Now, I don't really know a way to go about doing that because for that to actually happen, you have to, I would imagine, declare recruiters, specific recruiters, and allow only contact with those coaches during the process. And that's not going to happen. You have to basically pledge to the NCAA that you can account for variables that may happen during the coaching process offseason. You can't do that. I wonder if there's a way to go about doing this. If there's a way for a player to list five or so coaches on the national letter of intent, four or five, three, whatever, pick a number that really hold his key to say, hey, look, if these guys 
are fired or decide to leave within two weeks of National Signing Day or whatever, pick a, pick a time frame, this national letter of intent is invalid. I think there needs to be something about this. And there is some, a way around this for at least the bigger prospects because you don't have to sign a national letter of intent. We saw Roquan Smith uh, do that. He ended up at Georgia last year. He just signed a financial aid agreement, did not sign a national letter of intent. Uh, Demetrius Robertson for, for George, or perhaps for Georgia Notre Dame, a bunch of other schools after him, the wide receiver out of Savannah, uh, has not signed yet. May only sign a national um, a, a financial aid agreement, not a national letter of intent. So the bigger prospects can say, look, if let's just take Tech Texas and him for an example, because you know they're the one that's that's had this pop up most recently. They can say, hey, look, offensive lineman X, five star kid from wherever Texas, Allen, because they produce everybody. If Dave Christensen is being rumored to be let go. And that was a rumor for about two weeks now. That five-star can say, look, I'm only going to sign my financial aid agreement. That's the way around this for the bigger players. Unfortunately, there's a handful of play- only a handful of players per class that really have that option. Uh, all the five-stars, some, not all of the four-stars, and certainly nobody beyond that. So it's shady. It's diabolical. If a coach and a program are not upfront about this potential uh, being there that a coach may be let go after National Signing Day, that's unethical. That's diabolical. That's sleazy. And they should be condemned for it. Joined now by Tyler Simmons of McEachern High School outside of Atlanta. Tyler, one of the newest members of Bulldog Nation signing on the dotted line with Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs on National Signing Day. Tyler, how you doing? Good, Brett. How about you? Doing well. Uh, well, first off, congratulations. Uh, I think uh, uh, that's in order after signing with uh, your home state school. I guess first, just uh, tell, tell me, uh, tell Bulldog Nation uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you came from, and what you can bring to the team. Um, like you said, my name is Tyler Simmons. I played from McKeithen High School. I came from New Manchester High School for my first three years, transferred to McKeithen for my senior year. Um, I bring to the table a lot of speed, a lot of, I'm pretty physical at the receiver position, can return kicks, play running back, play receiver, play slot, play do wildcats. I bring a lot of stuff to the table. Well, you know, Tyler, it was you were an Alabama commit for a while, flipping to Georgia National Signing Day. Um, Kirby Smart, obviously, first uh, month and a half, two months on the job. Uh, tell me a little bit about the, the impression that he made on you and the staff made on you uh, down the stretch. Well, Coach Smart was the first. Um, he was the first Alabama coach to recruit me, so that was that was a big thing there. Um, he, was, he was part of the reason I committed to Alabama. So making that trip to Georgia wasn't so hard. He was the one, whenever I wanted to go to Alabama or talk to one of the coaches, he was the Alabama coach I would talk to or contact or anything. So he always made me feel welcome, made me feel at home. And then for him to switch to Georgia, it's his home. Um, he brought in a great coaching staff. I was familiar with, like, Coach McGee. I didn't, that was the main one I was familiar with. But Coach Coley, a great coach. So he, he's putting something new together, and he's trying to bring his ship back home. Tyler Simmons, new Georgia Bulldog wide receiver, joining me on SEC Smothered and Covered. And Tyler, um, you mentioned Coley. Coley obviously was a is, is a well traveled coach. He's been at Miami. You took a trip to Miami uh, right before National Signing Day. Um, you know, 
what other schools were you ta- thinking about down the stretch while you were committed to Alabama, but still obviously flipping to Georgia? You know, where was your mind for the final, you know, two and a half, three weeks of the, of the uh, recruiting process? It was it was mainly focused on going into that first week of starting back with official visits after the big break, the Christmas break and everything. It was mainly focused on Alabama, Georgia, and Texas A&M. And then I eventually let go of Texas A&M and started kind of leaning toward more so Miami, looking toward those three, Miami, Georgia, and Alabama. And then, um, but something's always had Georgia in my heart. So at the end, I took visits to all three of them for those last three weeks. Kind of sat down and talked to my family about everything, analyzed everything, and in the day I felt Georgia at my heart. What uh, in terms of Jacob Eason? Obviously, he's already on campus. Have you spoken with him? Um, and if so, you know what are what are your I guess overall initial impressions of of what he can bring as a quarterback and and what you two can do together? Jacob's a real cool dude. I met him back in December when he took his official visit to Georgia. I got a chance to sit down and talk to him a little. A little bit more when I took mine in January so he real cool dude he brings a lot to the table he, he's going to be pretty young so he's going to be learning through this whole process but has a great arm send a good pocket passer so I mean he's everything you look for in a quarterback so uh, he brings a lot to Jordan he, he brings hope to Jordan <laughs> that's how people <laughs> look at it right now but real cool dude down to earth um, and that's something mainly receivers look for. You got to have that. You got to have that bond between the receivers and the quarterback. And I feel like I have that with him. You're coming into a, a team with with a lot of other uh, Georgia players. Julian Rochester, obviously one of several that you're familiar with, is Elijah Holyfield. A lot of others yeah. uh, involved in that group. Um, do you Georgia guys sort of take a uh, a little bit more uh, of a pride of being the hometown home state guys? Uh, going back to the red and black to to try to bring that championship home is that is that a point of pride and was that a, a talking point amongst you know the, the the players in the state of Georgia during the recruiting process? Oh yeah, we I mean we trying to we're trying to bring a national championship back home. I talked to Miko the night before national mm-hmm. signing day. Uh, I've been knew he was going to Georgia, but I got a chance to sit down and talk to him. And he was just telling me that like if you look at these big time schools like Alabama and the Florida and you know, big time SEC schools, and you start looking at the roster, and you actually look at it and see that a lot of those kids are from Georgia, and they're out there being successful at other schools, not to down them or anything. But think of if we would have kept all that talent in state, how good Georgia would be. So, really, we're just trying to start something new. Uh, and he put it this another way. He put it: uh, imagine bringing a national championship back to your home. So. Like, like once I thought about that, it was kind of a no-brainer from there. <laughs> well, it's a no-brainer uh, for Georgia fans. I'm sure they will uh, love watching you play uh, in Athens over the next four years. Tyler, I appreciate you hopping on. Congratulations again. Uh, and, hey, we live in the same zip code. I, I want you to do it real 126. How about that? Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, dude, I appreciate it. No problem. As we do every week here on SEC Smothered and Covered, we play ruling on the field. Hot takes, news items, we address them all here on ruling on the field. And to start things off for ruling on the field, something that popped up on National Signing Day and pops up every single offseason, there should be an early signing period. I'll be honest, I've gone back and forth on an early signing period for the last 15 years. I think there are 
positive and negative things to uh, ad- that would that would be addressed with an early signing period. Look, there's no right time to do it. That's the biggest issue. I understand that you know certain players, very few players, want to you know get the recruiting out of the way, and and that would lock them into a school, but the school doesn't want to be locked into players that may not be healthy after a senior season or may have some issues or grades or whatever. It doesn't matter. I, you know, I think some schools want to have some things locked in, but others don't. And I think that varies school to school, player to player and situation to situation. And so look, I, I think the idea that an early signing period really stems on two issues. One, when's it going to be? And two, do you get some sort of prerequisite where those players are only early enrollees, sort of like the financial aid agreements are now? There's been talk of an early signing period perhaps coming the day after or to the Monday or Wednesday or whatever after the champ- conference championship games. Are you kidding me? That's coaching silly season. That is when coaches are fired and hired, not just head coaches, but assistant coaches. If you're mad about coaches being diabolical and offering kids and then bailing on their schools after National Signing Day, imagine what's going to happen then. And on top of that, there's a lot of programs, what, 20, 25 per year, who fire their head coaches. Some of them may not even have head coaches at that point. And you want an early signing period? That is, that's a terrible idea. August 1st, perhaps, before fall camps kick off. I think that would make a little more sense. But again, you're offering players who have not played their senior seasons, if you're a coach, you're offering players who could get a lot worse, get injured, whatever, and you're not being able, you're not able to plan for the uncertainty of perhaps, you know, Johnny Three Star, who was a decent quarterback as a junior, turns into a superstar as a senior. And what this really would hurt. would be the Troys of the world, the FBS programs of uh, CS programs of the world, the lower tier FBS programs, the Troys, the South Alabamas, Georgia Southerns. Because a lot of these players, they'd be waiting around to, to find out if, you know, some of their players are going to get early and get offered late and they may not have the t- chance to fill out a recruiting class. Because they, and they may be pressured to sign early and then say a school like Missouri or Mississippi State that doesn't recruit you know all that well, runs out of room, where do they go? You create a, you create a log jam, I think it's for both it's for the lower tier FBS teams that typically don't recruit well and all of the group of five and all of the FCS, you create a logjam, a massive confusion, even more so than you have right now. Yes, Joe Schmo, Alabama fan, who's a five-star defensive tackle prospect and has really no intentions of going anywhere other than Alabama, would love that. Those kids are few and far between. Next up, Tennessee will finish with a top 10 defense nationally. Further review, the ruling on the field stands as called. Tennessee will have a top 10 defense nationally. When you look at what they've got, that defense is going to be filthy. 
The two biggest recruits Butch Jones got this offseason were Jalen Reeves-Maben and Cam Sutton. Both decided to return to school. Jalen Reeves-Maben is one of the best linebackers in the country. Cam Sutton, one of the best corners in the country. On a defense that is absolutely loaded up front. Yeah, they got Congo and others on National Signing Day. They've still got Derek Barnett, Khalil McKenzie, Shai Tuttle, everybody else. Breen, everybody else. Unbelievable defense. And then when you look at who they play when it comes to Tennessee, the SEC East is not exactly the most offensively gifted division in the world. They play Tennessee Tech out of conference. They play Ohio out of conference. They play Appalachian State out of conference. And they play Virginia Tech out of conference, which again is not the most offensively challenged or not the most offensively gifted team in the world. Now, that may change now that Fuente is there, but in game two, I don't think so. This defense is going to be absolutely loaded. And people forget they've been awesome in in situational football for the last two years. Third downs, red zone, they've been awesome. This will be a top 10 defense nationally when all is said and done. Last up, Malcolm Mitchell, former Georgia receiver, will absolutely kill it at the Combine. Ruling on the field stands. Malcolm Mitchell's a guy who, his problem is not athleticism. His problem is not uh, talent. His problem is health. If Malcolm Mitchell is healthy at the NFL Combine, he will be this year's Chris Conley. Remember Chris Conley? The picture of him jumping a mile in the air? Picture of him jumping out of the room? This is a guy who's been... And this is not a knock against Mitchell, but he's more sizzle than steak at Georgia. He was more of a myth than a reality. He was supposed to be a superstar, and just just the, the health wasn't there. The system wasn't there because of Brian Schottenheimer. But this kid's a freak. Can play corner, did play corner as a sophomore for four games. He did not play in the Senior Bowl because of health, but he's going to be at the Combine. So really, the first true glimpse scouts get of Malcolm Mitchell is going to be at the NFL Underwear Olympics, and he is going to kill it. Can run, can jump, can catch, can do all those things. Cutting ability. Malcolm Mitchell has it all. I don't know if that translates to high NFL draft picks because honestly, I, that that's sort of a moving target and you never want to trust everyone's worst nightmare anonymous scout because anonymous scout hates everybody. But I think Malcolm Mitchell is going to be one of those guys that's going to really blow it up at the combine. I want to hit on this idea about Michigan and the idea that they're going to hold practices during spring break at IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida and the SEC's attempt to Block it. Now, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports talked to Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, and he said basically, look, we're already putting too much time 
pressure on these kids anyway. That's a big point of contention and point of concern for uh, the Autonomous Five and everybody else moving forward. Uh, this needs to be addressed, and it's probably not going to be addressed in time to prevent Michigan from doing this, but um, it needs to be addressed. And I think a, the easy thing to do would be to sort of lump this in with satellite camps, which has sort of dominated headlines over the last couple of years. Jim Harbaugh got into that mix last year. Before that, there was James Franklin, Brian Kelly, uh, other coaches you know, exposing the satellite camp loophole. And uh, look, those are two different conversations. Satellite camps are fine. If I'm a Big Ten coach or a, a Brian Kelly at Notre Dame or, you know, anywhere else that allows coaches to go participate in that, you go do it until it's a, a, law, a rule, whether a conference-wide rule or national rule, you take advantage of um, anything, any advantage that, um, that you, can, you can get. The SEC takes advantage of where it's located geographically. If the SEC has rules against satellite camps, that's the SEC's problem. But this whole Michigan thing and players practicing on spring break, I do have a problem with that for a couple of reasons. One, and Greg Sankey brought this up, IMG Academy is a it, it's a football it's a football program. It's a school. It's a factory. It's uh, a whole bunch of uh, things wrapped up into one. But I think the overbearing thing is that it's also um, it's an agency. You're putting your players in a position where they shouldn't be approached, but they could. That's a problem. But the biggest problem is time constraint. And, he, and this, here's the thing. Players are already stretched pretty thin as it is. Football is a full-time job. School is a three-quarters-ish job, depending on where you are in terms of your major. And they're already in the season right now where – Workouts are mandatory, early morning, late night, whatever. There's a lot of different schedules out there, but these are mandatory workout times. You're going right into spring practice, which starts, like I said, in three weeks or so. Then you turn around in the summer and you have, air quotes, voluntary workouts. There ain't nothing voluntary about them. You have to go. In fact, most schools... Uh, in major college football, treat the fall semester for football players like the summer semester for other kids. They take nine hours. They take the minimum because they're so tied up with the football season that they can't really afford to take more because of the time constraints. So as a result, you've got kids sticking around all summer, participating in voluntary workouts, which are not at all voluntary. They need a break. Yes, I know other sports practice during spring break. But football is not like other sports. It is not a literal year-round sport. I played baseball growing up. Baseball is as much of a year-round sport as you could get. And I didn't get to go on spring break because I played baseball. But that is the season for baseball. I still got breaks after the summer uh, ended. Still got breaks in the wintertime where you decompress. You have to. If you have players practice during spring break, that's really the only week, one of uh, a few only uh, weeks where they really can't do anything. Between the spring and summer semesters, there's another one of those lulls. But that's about it. So this has got to be stopped. And it's not going to get stopped before Michigan goes to Bradenton. I don't think, but it'll be brought up nationally. And I think it'll be lumped into the satellite camp issue because Harbaugh, but 
they're two different conversations. You can not like satellite camps or you can like satellite camps. And I do, I think the, I think everybody should be able to do them. And I think that will be the case because I don't think legislation will pass nationwide uh, and the SEC and the ACC will lift their ban. And that may happen in Destin at spring meetings in a couple of months, but I don't think that um, this will get done in time. I think Michigan will go to Bradenton. It'll be the only event of its kind because after that, this will be shut down and as it should be. You can't have this. Kids need a break. They are not full-time football players, even though we all know that they are. They need something and some way to get away. And that'll do it for this edition of SEC Smothered and Covered here on the Vsporto Network. My name is Barrett Salee. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you, Tyler Simmons, for hopping on. Thank you, everybody. See you next week here on Vsporto. Vsporto.